This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Would you all stand with me as we join together with our campuses and Appleton and Stevens Point and those online, and we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith and what we believe as a church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Again, I'd like to welcome those of you at our campuses in Appleton and Stevens Point and those joining us online. We have a great message this morning from Pastor Mark via video, so would you please give it up this morning for Pastor Mark. Good morning, Celebration Church. Good to have you today with us, worshiping together. Uh, looking into uh, the scriptures this morning, in today's message, looking at uh, Genesis, the ninth chapter. Now, this is what is recorded that happened immediately after the flood, the great flood of Noah. Noah and his family came through this flood, and then life after the flood came roaring back, and they were moving forward. And then we pick up the account in Genesis, the ninth chapter, verse 20. It says, Noah, a man of the soil proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its, of its wine, so he gets this vineyard, he plants the vineyard, picks the grapes, makes some wine out of it all. So when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth, the two brothers, took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine, after time went on, and found out what his youngest son had done to him, talking about uh, Ham, the father of Canaan, uh, he said to him, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves he will be to his brothers. So he curses uh, the descendants of Ham. And then he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem, uh, one of the good brothers. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. 
And may God extend Japheth's territory, the other good brother. And may Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. All right. Now, this is an account I talked to back uh, somewhere around December or something. I briefly had mentioned this story. And today I wanted to take a closer look at it. So Noah, uh, after the flood, gets this vineyard. They're planting again. Everything life's moving forward. He gets a bunch of wine and just gets hammered out of his ever-loving mind. Now, I have been known to enjoy the blessings of an adult beverage from time to time. May have, on occasion, taken a little more sips than I should have. And, you know, ooh, hello, time, time to stop. Okay, the Bible says you should not get drunk. Uh, but I've never been plastered drunk, and I certainly don't know how much a person has got to drink before it enters their mind, gee, I really ought to get naked. <laughs> so, I mean, he is hammered. And we're not talking whiskey here. We're just talking wine. So, you know, it's not as high as content of, as, as some very strong drink. So it's just wine. I don't know how much wine you got to drink before you are absolutely blitzed out of your mind and think, I ought to just get buck naked. So here dad is, he gets hammered thinks, gee, this is a great idea. Let me take off all my clothes. And then he passes out because he is so hammered out of his ever-loving mind. Now, the first son, Ham, uh, comes in and he sees the dad. And then he goes and he tells the other two brothers about what had happened. And as a result, um, got this big curse. Now, we're talking about life starting over again on earth, all right? You know, we often talk about we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, and that's true, but the reality is everything got wiped out and everything started over again with Noah and his three sons. That's where everything continued from there. And you can literally trace back the line of some of, where some of these people, what came from them. Uh, Shem um, is the line that the Israelites came from. And in fact, the word Semite comes from the word Shem. When we talk about people who say bad things about Jewish people or persecute them, they're called anti-Semites. Who are the Semites? They're the Jews, they're the descendants of Abraham, and goes all the way back to Shem. All right? Uh, so they became a great nation. Uh, Japheth's line uh, produced the Persians, the Romans, the Scythians, the Macedonians. Uh, and then Ham's line produced the Canaanites. Uh, and, what be, and because of what Ham had done, Noah had called down a terrible curse on uh, the Canaanites, or Canaan, who was the son of, uh, of Ham, who had done this bad thing. Anyway, so that's, that's what we get. Now, here's the question. What exactly was it wrong that Ham had done? That's what we want to take a look at. And that, because we're talking of, you know, it's a big yo mama curse that falls on this line for generations because of what uh, Ham had done. What was it that he did? Uh, I mean, it was strong enough to draw a horrible curse. So we should at least try to understand what happened here. Now, many scholars and, and readers speculate that, you know, Ham had mocked his dad, uh, laughed about him, uh, maybe did something disgraceful, disgraceful to him while he was passed out. 
But oftentimes the Bible is specific to record such kinds of behavior. It doesn't say anything about that. So any speculation that that's what Ham had done that brought on the curse is, in fact, speculation. There's nothing recorded here. All it says is that he came out and told his brothers about the shameful condition of dad. So what if what happened here is that Ham's sin was simply looking on in disapproval and disgust and then telling others, in this case, his brothers, that what dad had done. Is this the birthing point, the first time in recorded history of what we call gossip? Um, in Proverbs, the 20th chapter, verse 19, we read these words. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much, <laughs> which many of us tend to talk too much. Why would you avoid someone who tends to talk too much? Because these are the kind of people, not always, uh, but the kind of people who tend to betray a confidence. So what is a confidence? If something is, happens confidentially between you and I, and one of us starts speaking to others about what is to be held confidential, we have broken the confidence, okay? This is what gossip is. A gossip, the Bible says, betrays a confidence. That's what gossip is. Now, I want you to try to understand what we're talking about here. Gossip is when you take something that is secret and you make it public, usually in an effort to try and put that person in a bad light. People do this to each other all the time. Uh, they start telling others about something that they know confidentially and they do it in a, for the purpose of just really putting the other person in a bad light. Now, you say, well, okay, but What's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul writes about the depravity of man. Uh, he's going back and talking about the power of sin. Much of Romans is about the struggle that mankind, people, you and I, have with this thing called sin and how grace uh, and, and, and through the life of Jesus Christ and walking in the Spirit, we get set free from the power of sin. If you're constantly living under the bondage of sin, doing things you don't want to do and not doing things you should do, uh, you don't just say, c'est la vie, that's uh, just the way it is. No, no, no. You need to plug into the Spirit of God because Paul said, I thank God through Jesus Christ that this power is broken in Christ. In fact, it is said in the beginning that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And not just the fact to cover our sins, but to break us really from the power of sin. Now, it's always a real power to be dealt with. And if you're not careful, you can easily, we can all get sucked in at any given time back into the power of sin. But if we're walking truly in the spirit and being careful, circumspect with the, a big biblical word, it helps us to avoid getting sucked into the power of sin. So now Paul, he's writing in Romans about this power of sin. So in the very first, the beginning of this letter that he writes to the Romans, he starts talking about what this power has done to the human race 
and how it has corrupted the human race. People say, well, if there's a God, how come there's so much terrible in the world? Well, it's not a sign that there's not a God. It's a sign that people have yielded to sin. It is the result of sin why all these horrible things take place and why we are where we are and why people behave so incredibly badly towards one another. So then Paul writes in this letter, he starts to describe what happened to the human condition as a result of the power of sin. All right, everybody's following me. All right, here we go. So he lists it. He says in chapter 1, verse 29, they, talking about human beings, have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. This is not good. These are not good things. And then he gets more specific. He says, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. It's not enough to do evil. Let's figure out new ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, treat them disrespectfully. They have no understanding, no fidelity, which means no faithfulness. They don't keep their word about anything. They have no love and no mercy. Now, this is the description of mankind at their worst a race of beings that are trapped in the power of sin. And he goes and he names off these very bad things. But there was a word that I skipped over, and I don't know if you caught it or not, but I skipped over one of the words that he uses to describe. So let's back up a little bit and take a look at this again. In verse 29, toward the end of it, he says, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. And they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful, inventing ways to do evil, no love, no mercy. So uh, I skipped over a word that I think most people would not consider to be listed in the list, the hall of shame of evil. And believe it or not, gossip is listed with this list of horrible terrible things, and why Christians are to avoid gossip. It's not some little deal. The reason we do it is none of us take seriously what it is that we're doing. We think it's no big deal. Everybody does it. Well, it is a big deal, and everybody pretty much does do it, but we ought not to do it. The purpose of this message is to encourage us. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's be circumspect, as the Bible would say, and to avoid doing things that damage us and the people around us. And of all these things, we're talking some nasty words here, murder, God-hating, you know, I mean, these are nasty words. And right in the middle of it is the word gossip. Now remember, gossip means uh, to take public something that is private. And this gossip is considered a very terrible sin by God. I said, well, pastor, what if we see something doing something wrong? Aren't we supposed to say something about it? Well, yes and no. It depends on how, how terrible it is. And let me explain. In John's epistle, he wrote uh, three epistles. He also wrote the Gospel of John. But in his epistles, these letters to the church. The first letter, uh, chapter 5, verse 16 
he writes these words. He says, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. And he goes on to encourage them. If you see someone commit a sin unto death, well, that's a different thing. Well, what's he talking about? Now, for those of us who are raised Catholic, uh, you'll, these words will ring in your ears as true. The idea of a venial sin versus a mortal sin. Um, evangelicals, by and large, non-Catholics, Protestants, tend to ignore this concept. But it is actually a biblical concept. You know, we like to say, well, all sin's the same. Not exactly. All right? All sin is not the same. Okay? If you yell at your neighbor for letting his dog poop in your yard and you lose your patience, that's probably a venial sin, a sin that doesn't lead to death, doesn't corrupt your soul. It's still a sin. You shouldn't do it. But, you know, if you take your shotgun out and shoot your neighbor for letting his dog poop in your yard, we're talking a whole other ball game. Everybody understands this, right? If you think it through, not all sins are the same. So when it comes to this, aren't we supposed to point out when someone does something wrong? It depends on what they're doing wrong. What John says, if you see somebody do something and it's really not that big a deal, even though they shouldn't do it. They get impatient. They get grumpy. They cut somebody off. They don't wave at somebody, you know, that they should have acknowledged someone or, you know, uh, in the middle of a conversation, get t t turned away to some other conversation. But people get really upset about these things. And they say, well, that's wrong. They shouldn't do that. Okay. But what does John say? If you see a brother or a sister do a sin like this, that's not something that leads to death, it doesn't say that person needs to apologize. They need to apologize and repent for what they did. No, that is not what it says. It says you should pray and God will give them life. In other words, if you see someone do something that's really not big of a deal, you should just pray for them. Father, forgive them. Father, and the Bible says God will forgive them. Give them life. Boom. But see, we don't want that. What we want is vengeance. We want someone to pay. And if somebody does something wrong, we want them to pay. And there's people who get caught up in these little tiny things that are nothing. I know people who their lives are devastated because someone didn't say hi to them. I'm not kidding. I've had people say this to me and say, Pastor, I, you were driving and you didn't wave at me. Why not? I was waved at you. Well, as I've said many times, when I'm driving, I'm on another planet. If I don't wave at you, don't take it personally. I didn't see you, all right? I'm lucky to be aware of my surroundings at all. I don't know how many of you guys get caught up in automated driving. You know, you start driving and you forget really where you're heading and you just keep going somewhere because you've drove, driven that way so many times. That happens to me all the time. So to get wounded by this. You know, Pastor, you're talking to someone else and you turn around and start talking to somebody else. Oh, and they're just... And what they want is me to apologize. Well, if you're pointed out, I will apologize. But you're not getting this right. You see somebody do something that ticks you off or does something they shouldn't do and it's no big stinking deal, forgive them and ask God to forgive them. That's what we're supposed to do. There isn't supposed to be this confrontation and that needs to be exposed and we need to set this right and don't you ever do it again kind of nonsense. That is not the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ, particularly with something of, that's uh, uh, a low-level 
transgression. No one needs to be confronted. Now, if you're, someone's constantly doing, letting their dog poop in your yard, that's why you might want to bring it up, you know, best you can. But I just, let stuff go. Remember that scripture that we've been celebrating for most of this year. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. To overlook, let it go. Well, you shouldn't let it go, Pastor. It was wrong. Well, then pray for them that God will forgive them. And God will do it. That's what you're supposed to do. Don't be pointing at other people and getting mad and ticked off at them because they're not doing things the way you think you should do it. All right? So number one, should we expose what someone else does wrong? Well, again, it depends on what level of wrong we're talking about here. If it's something light like that, something's a little off, what? man, just let it go. It doesn't need to be dealt with at all. And it certainly doesn't need to be spoken about uh, about with others. You know, so-and-so did such and such, and they did such and such, and blah, 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 blah. You know, now you're a gossip. And God hates gossip. He hates it. It's no small deal. That one, that's a bigger sin than the thing you're probably upset about in the first place, quite frankly. You need to avoid that, all right? So, the next question is, well, pastor, what if it is a serious sin? I mean, it's something that really shouldn't be happening, and it's continuing. Well, okay, that the Bible does say we should confront. But let's look at how Jesus told us to confront it. In Matthew chapter 18, we read these words. This is from our Lord. He says, if your brother or sister sins, and obviously this is not what we would call a venial sin or some little piddly nothing, but something... That, that's more damaging, more mortal, if you will, poisonous to one's soul. Uh, what does Jesus say? When you see that, call up everybody you know and tell them. No. No. No, you're not supposed to do that. For heaven's sakes. This is what he says. You go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Okay. If they listen to you, then you've won them over. So the first reaction, even to something that is serious, is you go to that person and you still keep it in confidence. In confidence. See, there's never a rush in the scriptures to expose people who are struggling. Uh, one of the problems with evangelical culture today is they love to expose people who struggle and make mistakes or stumble in any way. As I've mentioned in the past, we have a culture where the only army in the world that enjoys shooting is wounded. Every other army, the wounded gets a purple heart or gets respected and honored and gets special parking places, you know, in front of Walmart. No, no, not us. Someone is getting wounded. We want them to be shot and to pay for their transgressions and expose it. We're so far, I'm telling you, that spirit is not the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is you keep things confidential. That's the first act. You talk between just the two of you. And then he goes on to explain that, well, if the person keeps doing it, then you bring in a few others. But notice he says a few Two or three. What's the idea? To still maintain 
the confidence. That's what's going to be blathering people's faults all over the place, even when they're serious faults. And then, of course, if he still doesn't listen, then you got to bring it to the whole church. Then, you know, then I understand that. But that isn't people's go-to response. People's go-to response is to let everybody know. No sense of confidence. And they rarely, if ever, go and talk to the person. They rarely, if ever, go directly to the person and say, let me ask you what, what happened here. And, and they don't do it. Uh, and it's just wrong to do. Remember, gossip is listed as a sin and a very serious sin at that. It is listed up there with the worst of the worst sins in the heart of mankind. If someone comes to you and wants to make something public that is supposed to be an event that is private, you really should turn them away. Because if you engage in this conversation with them, you are now engaging in the sin of gossip. Turn them away. Say, man, I don't engage in gossip. It's not right. It's unchristian and inappropriate. But oftentimes, people's response is, it's not gossip. It's the truth. Ah, there's the rub. Because it's not about whether it's true or not. That's not what makes it gossip. You can take something that is gospel true that is supposed to be held in confidence, and you talk about it, you are gossiping. Even if it's 100% true. Noah was indeed drunk. Ham pointed out to his brothers was what was without question or doubt absolutely gospel truth. He was hammered, and there's no disputing it. Dad was drunk on his butt and lying there buck naked again. I'm not sure how much someone has to drink to get to that point. I've never been anywhere near it. I don't even know anybody. And if you're one of them, don't raise your hand. You know, I want to keep that in confidence. <laughs> Obviously, it happened. So everything that Ham saw and talked about was absolutely, positively, without doubt, without question, the absolute 100% truth. And you know what it resulted in him? Him and his family receiving a horrible curse that rested on them for generation upon generation upon generation. Why? Because it's wrong. And these types of things are listed among the worst of sins of mankind in the Bible. His gossiping to his brothers, you see, Dad, See, it doesn't say that he mocked him. It doesn't say that. I, I didn't see any word that says it. And even he did. I mean, the, the, the reality is he's exposing it. Look at dad. He's naked. He's hammered. Look at dad over there. Well, as soon as the brothers found out about it, they, they didn't even want to look. They walked in backwards, didn't look, and covered him. See, love covers a multitude of sin. When you start thinking about it, you can see where we are so lacking today in the Christian community. And I'm not just picking on ours. They're all this way. Uh, very seldom do you encounter a group of believers uh, who their first reaction is to cover a transgression. You know, and those people who get mad about it say, we're just trying to cover it up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> actually, we are. This is what Christians do. Now, we're not talking about covering up stuff that needs to be exposed. That's an ongoing transgression. That's different. And the Bible says we need to expose that kind of stuff. 
But we're talking mistakes that people make and then we feel that we've got to go and expose it. No, you don't. No, you don't. Even in the case of someone who has a serious sin, Jesus teaches, you go to him, see if you can win him over. And if you win him over, it stays where? Just between the two of you. It remains in confidence. So we try to cover it. It's not about secrecy. It's about love. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's not secrecy or evil. We literally speak against things that are actually good today. Covering people's mistakes. Be like Shem and Japheth. They covered their father. We read in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, verse 8, the scripture I've kept recording here. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, oftentimes the motive for the religious gossiper is that what is secret must be revealed so the appropriate punishment can be administered. You know, Susie did this terrible thing and, and, and now, now Susie has to pay the price. Well, anyone who thinks in terms that one must exact some kind of punishment for mistakes, sins, or shortcomings so that a form of punishment can take place, they are ignorant, ignorant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, which is a word for good news, is that we but positively proclaim that the price for all sins has already been paid. Aren't you glad for that? It's not in my people to be paying for their sins. The price has been paid. When Jesus Christ died on that cross and he said, it is finished, it was finished. The price has been paid and he paid the price. Where is love? Where is love? And don't get caught up in prayer gossip. <laughs> you know what that is? That's when you come and say, oh, we need to pray for Susie because I heard that she was, has a problem, you know, uh, you know, doing things she shouldn't do and, and blah, 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 blah. And, oh, well, you think you're praying. You're not praying. You're covering up a sin with a cover of prayer. You are breaking a confidence and using prayer to spread the confidence, which keeps getting spread and spread and spread and spread. A gossip breaks confidence. The scripture says that's why you want to avoid people who talk too much. And that also means avoid listening to people who talk too much. Uh, and listen, we all do this at some level. We all do this at some level. Uh, but it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make that we should blow it off. The truth of the matter, we need to stop. We need to stop. There's something, I just think we feel justified talking about someone else's screw-up because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Well, I didn't do that. Look what they did. Uh, and, and just even preparing for this message, I, I felt guilty as I've reflected on, oh, sheesh. I shouldn't have said that, and I shouldn't have said that, and I should have mentioned this. You know, we all get caught up in this stuff. Uh, let's walk in love. Let's cover people. Let's be the kind of church that actually does not engage in, nor does it tolerate, gossip. There's no reason for it. Well, that needs to be confronted. Then you go talk to them in confidence. You think Sarah, Bob, or Larry's done something wrong? You go talk to say, Larry, man, I see such a concern. Keep it in confidence. Maybe you'll go. Larry will go, oh, man, you're right. 
And I'm, I'm sorry. And then you cover it and you move on. You don't try to exact revenge. You don't say, well, price has to be paid for what Larry did and what Sarah did. Stop. Goodness gracious. Remember, the kind of way you deal out judgment is the kind of judgment that's going to come back to you. I don't know about you guys, but when I get before God on that great and frightening day, I want all the grace I can muster. I don't want my words to come back and haunt me. And God talk about me the way I've talked about somebody else, not forgiving someone else, not letting somebody else go and hammering me because I hammered others. The way that you deal with others is how God will someday deal with you. So let's be gracious. Let's be merciful. Let's be kind. Let's be the kind of Christian community that while we may not be perfect and we might have our issues and people may not like us for a dozen other reasons, mainly because you got a weird pastor or whatever it is. Let us be a Christian community that above all is a gossip-free environment. We just don't talk about people. We just don't do it. Why? Because we love people. And when people start doing it, we shut them down. Real, true gossipers should really get ticked enough that they'll leave the church. <laughs> I'm serious. Because a gossiper wants to talk about other people. Some of you listening right now, you are in your heart, God forgive you and help you, are a gossiper, and you're not hearing a word I'm saying. You should get so frustrated in this Christian community that you keep trying to talk to me. Nobody will talk to you because nobody wants to hear your nonsense. That you get so mad, you go join some other church and torment them. This should be a gossip-free zone. We don't do it and we don't tolerate it. We want God to cover us and we want to give out the same grace that we expect to receive ourselves. All right, let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you cover our sins, that you have paid the price for our sins. Lord, it's so easy for us to gossip. Lord, it's just amazing. Something in us just delights in talking about other people's garbage. Help us not to be that way. Help us to see the seriousness of this terrible sin of gossip and to determine in our heart, you know, we're not going to do that. We're not going to participate in it and we're not going to listen to it. Lord, help us to be the kind of people that it is to our glory to overlook an offense, that we will celebrate the fact that love covers a multitude of sins. We don't not address it, but even when addressing it, we're doing it in kindness, in confidence, and in faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Amen. This time I'd like to have the ushers come forward as they begin to prepare for communion. But before we partake, I just want to give anyone here an opportunity to commit their life to Jesus. But you're here and you say, I've never really made a commitment to follow Jesus, chosen to follow him. I just want to give you an opportunity to do that today. It's very simple. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. If you'll believe that prayer and mean that prayer with your heart, that's it. That's all that you need to do to kind of start this new life with Jesus. So if you would, if everyone would just bow their heads, close your eyes. You can just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, surrender my life to you. I ask for you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins. Help me to learn your ways. In your name, amen.